Anesthesia Deconstructed is supported by National University's CRNA program. National University's CRNA program is one of the nation's top programs for CRNAs and dedicated to making you a successful CRNA. The program doesn't just prepare you for entry-level practice. National focuses on making you a full-service provider and gives you insight into what is actually happening in the industry. With connections to faculty with backgrounds in advanced clinical practice, academics, research, and anesthesia services management. Learn more at nu.edu. Welcome to Anesthesia Deconstructed. Science, politics, realities. Listen in as medical professionals join industry experts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez to discuss the latest science and medical advancements, the effects of our political climate, and the reality of today's changing healthcare environment. Let's get started with your hosts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez. Right. And I, I understand what you're saying. I certainly see how the the whole overlapping process, you know, finding enough for each side to make them happy enough. Right. But, mm-hmm. but when you're looking, let's just make this a very simple business equation. If I am providing employees to a place and the obstacle to providing employees to that place is that there's people not allowing them agency. And I don't disagree that there's not shades of agency, but I do disagree that with anesthesia, the agency is almost clear, <laughs> right? And it does have to, as you mentioned, it does have to do with scope of practice. If, if I'm struggling to get employees and the barrier to that struggle is restrictions within a facility and that facility is not willing to change, I just wouldn't take the contract, right? Because I, I think that's an uphill battle that you lose. So if you're looking at it from, like and I, I'm all about everybody being as happy as possible, but there's lots of blocks to be done. There's lots of anesthetics to do at every big facility, and there are very large facilities that CRNAs work independently. Right here in Arizona, there's CRNAs doing hearts independently with their own TEs. I'm sure there's people in the audience going, "Oh my God, it must be unsafe," and yet their outcomes are better than the hospital down the road. So it's not like it can't be done. The question is, is this a it? it how do you how do you thread that needle, right? Because what we're talking about here are two things. We're talking about providing the service that's needed, keeping the and they, that keeps the employees pay plus autonomy equals satisfaction. And the third thing we're talking about is cultural shifting. And I agree mm-hmm. with you. You can't walk into a place that's all MD one day and say tomorrow this is all CRNA, I and mean, that's just not going to happen, right? That's that is a drastic cultural shift just not tenable. But when you're, when you're put under this pressure to find employees and you're put under this pressure economically, clearly there's one model that's cheaper. There's one model that's somewhere in the middle. And then there's one model that's very expensive, right? The collaborative model is probably where all anesthesia models are headed in the future um, for lots of reasons. Utilizing people that are full scope of practice, keeping them happy, keeping them there, you know, expanding access to service at a more reasonable, more efficient cost. That's where we're headed. You know, no matter what anyone says about, you know, the big facility doesn't want to change, but we're seeing those big facilities change. I mean, there's a, there's large 300 bed hospitals that are collaborative models now. So as that shifting, how, how does Northstar through the lens of business acquisition culture 
and keeping employees and attracting employees. How does Northstar see those things? That's a lot. <laughs> well, no, I mean the the thing is like with at Northstar, when this is you know this is reflected in the organizational structure, is that you know up and down the organization we have CRNAs and physicians and operators partnered in in, in, a, in a triad right. to to have these kinds of conversations. These are trade off conversations. They are. These are risk. These are like okay, is the juice worth the squeeze? Conversations. Right. These are what what would be the unintended consequences of A or B or C, and what you know what I've the drum I've been beating at North Star during my brief tenure here is around like I don't know I don't this is try not to get too weird with this but like you know in game theory the idea of game like there's two different games and that that we play in our lives and like everything's a game mm-hmm. in game theory you know it, it was an economic model but it definitely definitely I think describes human behavior in almost every context. So there's two different kinds of games. You're either in a cooperative or a non-cooperative game. Right. The key is don't spend as little time as you can in non-cooperative zero-sum games because it, they're almost always lose-lose propositions. And that, you know, you know, if you think about the kind of relationships we're trying to develop or we are developing at North Star, at the facility level and at the leadership level, if we're moving people, if they're not already there, we're saying we play cooperative games at North Star. We are like we are not interested in having zero sum conversations where one person loses and another person wins because it creates a really unhealthy environment. It creates cultural entropy. So to your point, like that tough problem that you're describing where there's this friction that will exist between the physicians and the CRNAs and this example I think you're using a scope of practice and practice models. We have these conversations, hopefully, in a cooperative environment where this is not about one person losing and another person winning. This is about the desired outcome is outstanding patient care and the client having a great service. Right. But you know, I guess full my stop. question my question would then be yeah. who who loses when CRNAs work to full scope of practice? The hospital well, it, saves not, money, you retain employees, you know, you've got better job satisfaction for your largest percentage of employees. And then physicians still get to be physicians. They still get to do all their own blocks. They still get to do their own cases, or they get to supervise in some way and help with all these things. Who loses there? Or is it perceptual? Human beings <laughs> are not rational. Human beings are not rational actors. Sure. I'm not a rational actor, even though I think that I am. And, and so in an environment where there isn't, yeah, I think it's like there's a perception and then there's reality. And our job is to help people understand the difference between the two. Right. And so, it, you know, academically, these conversations make a ton of sense. But when you go into a facility and you have a conversation about changing behavior, that's what we're doing. And the most difficult thing there is to do on the face of the earth is change another person's behavior because deep seated underneath that are all kinds of suppositions, all kinds of baggage. Like, yeah, you know, there's experiences, there's trauma, there's fear. I know this is getting really deep and weird, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. And I hundred so, percent agree with all that you said. Yeah. 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 And, and I put myself in that bucket for sure. I, you know, as much as I like to think I'm a rational actor, there are elements about my behavior that are purely irrational. And the key here is 
for me to get better at knowing the difference between the two. So to your point, yes, these are academic conversations, but in reality become much more difficult because we're dealing on both sides of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. Personalities uh, and, you know, people who have had their entire career, their entire, and the CRNA side too, their entire career has been medically directed. Sure. And, and if you ask, you know, I've been in the room where we're like, hey, we're going to we're going to make, some, you know, we're thinking about making some changes here and having the CRNAs go up to the labor deck and do labor epidurals. I've, I've been in the room with those conversations. And sometimes the people who resist have CRNA after their name. Sure. And so and so that's like it's not always <laughs> as easy as it sounds. And well, so that's why I try to like have these difficult conversations in a constructive and cooperative sure. way. And it- it happens on both sides. I've been in the room where the surgeon doesn't want a physician anesthesiologist in the room because they don't do anesthesia every day, you know? So, and they don't feel comfortable going and doing that block because they haven't done a block in forever. And that, that's, a, that's yeah. definitely a truism on both sides. Oh yeah. I mean like in any, like any clinician, like any specialty, there's your A players and your, <laughs> and you're not A players. And so uh, <laughs> you see that, you know, for sure. You see that everywhere. hundred percent. So pull out your, uh, pull out your, um, crystal ball <laughs> and looking, because yeah. I know you have one and looking down the road at the crystal ball, how do you think the market is going to correct in the anesthesia service industry? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to all the mom and pops? What's going to happen? I mean, obviously not all of them, but a generalized idea. What's going to happen to the middling, you know, anesthesia companies and the big AMCs and the big venture capitalists? What's going to happen to the supply and demand and uh, with hospitals and surgery centers? What What do you see coming down the road? As a guess, obviously we don't know, but you've got an educated sure. guess. Sure. Um the, what I would say is, you know, back to our, some of the other points I made earlier or that you made, too, is like the out-migration of surgical care from the acute care hospital to the ASC is going to accelerate. And that's going to change the, the way that CRNAs and physicians are, uh, where, where a good percentage of them are going to be spending more of their time in ASCs. Right. Uh, there's that, right? And the other piece of this is, you know, it is like for a hospital administrator. It feels so good and so natural to say, hey, I'm going to expand points of service. Because if I build it, if I give the capacity to the surgeon, if I give the capacity, uh, they will come. They will bring cases. The challenge here is that's not always true. And there is some percentage of surgical volume that left the acute care hospital during COVID that's not coming back ever. Mm-hmm. And so... That is going to cause, ultimately, I think there's going to be a correction. And I think there will be, we'll see, because of the, not just the anesthesia provider shortage, but also with the shortage in nurses and surgical techs, central sterile techs, you're going to see, I think, a, a contraction of point of service that is going to result in a more efficient utilization of ORs. Because... The, the cost of keeping ORs open with very low utilization is going to hit a breaking point and may already be hitting a breaking point. And so that, I think, will help to some degree with demand. I also think, and I'm aware of the, the silver tsunami that's bearing down on us, <laughs> that's, gonna, that's a factor that's going to increase demand. So 
as we think about at a lower cost because it's all Medicare. Sure, sure. Less and, and so, right, right. So the people are leaving the commercial insurance and moving into Medicare, and, and that's a big group of people who need colonoscopies and cataracts, right? So, mm-hmm. so I think you know if this thing works out well, if I have a glass half full person, and I typically am, we're going to see a more efficient utilization of points of service, which will, even in the, even in the context of increased demand, uh, will, I think, take a little bit of tension off the provider shortage. I think over the long run, if you look at the numbers that are coming out of SRNA programs, there's not, a, I think, a lot of reason to be super optimistic in the next three to five years that we're going to see a bunch of new graduates entering the market. I think you're going to see something like 4% of growth year over year, um, which is something, but it's not going to meet the demand. So I mm-hmm. think this, these, these clinician shortages, not just in anesthesia, but especially in anesthesia, in the context of this conversation, are going to, be, are going to persist for a while. And so reimbursement is going to continue to be a challenge, and that's going to also require a more efficient utilization of clinicians, a more efficient utilization of operating rooms, and hopefully some action on the professional society side, the ASA and the AANA partnering on on reversing some of these really deleterious rulemaking, some of this rulemaking that's been problematic because it's really challenging for anyone. And, you know, because anesthesia is misvalued already. Right. Yeah. So thirty-three percent. It's already yeah. Un- yeah, it's already undervalued. And so now they're turning the screws on both the commercial and federal side. So I, I would hope that the professional societies get their act together and work on some economic initiatives that will give some relief to clinicians. Agreed. And I think you you touched on something that I was gonna mention and you you nailed it for me. That you know, there's gonna be hard conversations at hospitals with surgeons. It's coming. Um, you know, the days of having four ORs, six ORs, 15 ORs sitting available and four of them or two of them having one 730 case in them just so that it can be available to have five 730 starts, they're coming to an end. And mm-hmm. where, where we're heading toward is an efficiency paradigm where, you know, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, we're closing the fourth OR, the seventh OR, whatever it is. And now you're going to follow behind the one other 730 start because we're not going to keep staff here because we don't have them, (laughs) you know, or the cost of anesthesia subsidy to maintain that room where no one actually does more than seven cases a week is insurmountable because we're losing money on it. Your convenience is not equal to the, to, to the end result for efficiency and sustainability. And, you know, surgeons are, are going to have difficulty with that because they've always had the ability, especially at hospitals and certainly at surgeon owned surgery centers to schedule when they want because they've got guaranteed ORs, but that's becoming difficult with anesthesia, surgical techs, especially surgical techs and surgical nurses, you know, you can't just you can't hire a surgical nurse to come in for one hundred and seventy dollars an hour to do one case every second day. I mean, it's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think I think we're heading down that hard conversation road. I think it's probably happening at the C-suite level in many places now because what anesthesia is saying and what 
RN locum companies saying and tech locum companies are saying is, yeah, we can, we can provide that. It's going to be three times what you'd normally get paid because that's what it costs to get someone there, <laughs> you know, cause that's what yeah. it is. It is what it is. That's the market. So the hospitals, you know, they really only have, and surgery centers have a couple choices. The choice is to increase volume. And the other choice is to decrease service times, service ORs, mm-hmm. OR availability, you know, and, and that's just where it is. I don't yeah. see how we can mitigate that anytime in the near future without decreasing expectations on that yeah. side. So I think that that's, yeah, I, I think you're 100% correct. And um, hopefully common sense prevails. Uh, it's tough, though, if you think about, you know, like, we've been there. Like, surgeons are rainmakers. And so when the surgeon doesn't get their third flip room, yeah. who do you think they're going to go talk to? Uh, yeah. They're going to go, they're, they're going to march right up the stairs and talk to the CEO and bang on the desk. I've seen this happen before. Like, don't you know how much money I bring into this hospital? I'm just going to take my business across the street. They value me. And so it's that what, again, sounds good, really academically is sometimes really difficult to do when you're, when you're facing down the barrel of a gun mm-hmm. as, as a hospital administrator. But I think, you know, the, the economics to your point are going to drive everybody towards a more efficient utilization of points of service. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will be good. That, and that's the right thing to do because the incremental cost associated with keeping a you know an OR open is going to is quickly becoming untenable. Oh yeah, and there's there's significant burnout. I mean the the you know when everywhere in the world treats appendicitis with antibiotics, but the U.S. is primarily surgery. The two in the morning lap appy that's not perforated and clearly isn't an emergency, burning out that mm-hmm. staff isn't worth it that case will still get done tomorrow. So, but burning out that staff at two in the morning, some of which have to come back the next day, you know, losing those staff is more, is more of a cost loss than the benefit of doing the case you could have done the next day. And the, you know, basically the convenience for the operating practitioner at the time. And, and I think we're, we're starting to see that slow shift because it's like, that's another cultural change, you know, mm. the, the rainmakers are the most important people in the facility and we all exist to help them make the rain. And, I, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But at the same time, there's a, there's a ceiling and it's lower yeah. than it's ever been. For sure. Yep. Totally agree. Well, Randy, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I'm so excited for your career at North Star, and I know you'll do amazing things and have done amazing things there. And I'm so glad to have you on again. We'll definitely do it again when we look back and find out we were wrong about all these predictions <laughs> in a couple of years and everything changes. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. That's all for this episode of Anesthesia Deconstructed. For more information based on today's discussions, be sure to visit us at anesthesia-deconstructed.com. You'll also gain access to our blogs, editorials, and more resources to keep you updated on the science, politics, and realities of today's medical industry. That's anesthesia-deconstructed.com.